Well, hello there, Kansas City. Stephen St. John here with another episode of Hot Mike with SSJ. And before we get started, we'd like to thank our wonderful sponsor, CBD American Shaman. You can get the vape, you can get the edibles, topical cream, get all buzzed before you listen to this podcast. All the good shit is at CBD American Shaman and, of course, Patrick Carter, kcfarmersagent.com. You need to go local, not with one of these fucking phone call 800 people outside of kansas city they don't know you they don't know this town they don't give a shit about you Patrick carter loves you and loves this podcast kcfarmersagent.com all right here we go i told you like it is thank you for sponsoring this podcast so i got i got i got nate mcgiggles <laughs> over here laughing and so we have uh my co-host from the border patrol nate bucati is uh you know <laughs> He wasn't asked to be a part of this podcast, but he sure as fuck is sitting right here. But we have uh, someone I've been I've been trying to get on the podcast. I'm very happy he's agreed to be on this uh, on this podcast with us. Uh, the one and only Mr. Matt Beasler. Matt, good morning. How are you? Doing well. I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, right you. Well, are you going to stand the whole time? Yeah, you're I, making me nervous. I, I'm standing because I don't this fucking chair. I don't. You know, I feel like if I sit here, I need a beer or something. I got you know some back issues, and I don't like. It. I like to stand, and you know I feel like I'm in control. Does that I've been, count as a mat cuss? He said, Hell. "Sure." Does that count? I've been sitting for four hours before this in the morning show. I don't want to sit anymore. I feel good now. Uh, I'm like George Foreman. I like to stand between rounds and keep the blood circulating, uh, and so. Uh, before we get into this, it was going to be me and you, right? And I knew at some point he was going to fucking weasel his way in here. So I saw this thing coming. So we were, we were doing something in here the other day, and he goes, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I can be in there with, with, with the Matt Beasler. He goes, unless you don't want me to. I said, well, whatever. He goes, I, I, could, I could add some stuff. I said, okay, great. All right, fine. But then we're texting about the show last night, and he goes, huh? Because then he, you know, because Nate, Nate wants to be asked. Okay, so then he texts, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be in there. I don't want to get in the way tomorrow. So I wait, and I wait, and I said, hey, you're not going to be in the way. Why don't you, you know, are you sure as long as you, you know, if you want me in there, so now he can say that he was asked. Because, I'm, I, you know what, if, if he wasn't, I'd have looked, he'd have been under this fucking desk or something. He'd have, you know, he'd have been washing the windows. He'd have been in here some way. And so I, I didn't tell you, Nate, are you okay with him? Because I'm sure that you knew he'd be in here somehow. In my right? defense, though, I want to say this. What, what, what you want to say? Everything he said is 100% true. Right, exactly right. <laughs> he brought it up. He's not even, like, people think he, oh, Steve is probably exaggerating. That all no. actually happened. All of it all happened. Of it. Again, I knew it. I knew it. It's like he wants to be asked. He wants to feel like it is mine. Now he thinks I've been invited. He, he invited himself. Yeah. So now he's going to say, well, I don't want to get in the way. I just, you know, I go, that's, come on, man. That's be funny great. because when I walked in today, I, I stopped in Nate's office and he looked like he was really busy and he was right. like going to work. I said, Nate, you, you know, you got a lot to do, don't you? He goes, yeah, like Steven really wants me in on this podcast. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. He's so, been asking you know, me. Sorry, and, uh, I, I got I to gotta hop in on this. No, the best part was after I said, you know, well, come on in. You won't be in the way. He goes, oh, well, it's a busy day. I got a sporting match and just a lot of things going on. And then he's giving me this list of fucking reasons why he, he can't be in here when it was his idea to begin with. Right. And so here, are, are you are you okay? Is this, are we, are we well, taking you away you from your fucking schedule? you guys want me here schedule? so badly, yeah, right. I'm happy to be here. So, man, I'm, I'm glad to, to have you in here. And I've said that I want you to cuss. You don't have to, but feel free. This is, uh, you know, you, you've listened to some of the episodes. And so when you were down in Texas, you said you were on the road, and you actually listened to a few episodes that featured our old friend Jake. Oh, yeah. Boy, that had to be a shock to the system, huh? What were you, what was going through your mind? Knowing, and you've listened to the show for a long time. You're friends with all of us. You're friends with Jake. 
that was a lot. There was a lot to unpack there, wasn't it? It was. It was. <laughs> so uh, rewind back to November. So I was going through a big life change. So I was down in Texas. I just moved my family down there. I had just made the decision internally to retire from playing professional soccer. I had not announced it publicly yet. So I was packing up all my shit from Texas. We had the U-Haul. We, you know, my, uh, my wife and kids actually flew home to Kansas City. And so I had the U-Haul. I had, you know, I was driving open road. I think the drive from Austin, Kansas City is about 13 hours in a U-Haul. And You're hauling ass. We were hauling That's ass. That's right. I was. I was. But anyways... <laughs> You know, just a lot going through my head. You know, I was thinking about my next steps and reflecting on my career. And I'm driving through these small towns in Texas, and there's just, like, crazy shit everywhere. Right. There's Bucky's, and I'm thinking about stopping off at Bucky's, the convenience store. And Well, let me but, tell you, so that's a motherfucker. My, my dad talked to because he, he, he's on the road a lot. He talks about Bucky's like it's fucking Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I did not stop, by the way. Right, well, good for you. But anyways, just okay. stuff I've never seen in my life before. And then you get to Oklahoma, and it's just open road, and then Kansas, drove by Ark City. I won't get you started there, because I want to finish. <laughs> he sent <right>? me a <laughs> picture. <laughs> oh, my God, that was... Yeah. Incredible. City. So anyways, I, I, you know, I've got a lot of time to kill and, uh, your podcast had been recommended. So I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to this. And the first episode, who recommended it? It was just like my brother. Oh, my brother's like, you got to check this out. It's uh, it's, it's awesome. Super entertaining. And he goes, Jake is a psycho. Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. In in the best way possible. So I was like, all right. So I was, I was, I was prepared a little bit and man, I tell you what, I was, I was questioning like everything that I I thought I knew about my life. Was was there were anything? Because he there was a lot there. Anything in particular that you remember? Was it was it that, that Paul McCartney uh, is actually dead? Was it that that uh, Titanic didn't no, sink? Was, the Titanic didn't sink. That he he did he he's not required to pay taxes. Was anything that stood out to you that yeah, you remember? Was, that was it was the taxes. It was the we got it. You guys got into milk. Yeah. Something about milk oh, yeah. and the right, government right. kind of controlling. Yeah, the uh, there yeah. was some alien talk. Right. It was it was bizarre. I mean, Jake's I love Jake, but uh it we was all a, do, it but... was a weird conversation and I was driving across the country just thinking like what am I listening to? Right so now? did you feel like when you're going through this moment uh, in your life of transition and you're being reflective and all that stuff, did the podcast help you get through yeah. that time? Like I'm and, going with Jake. They're, or they're, or was it like, man, now I'm even more messed up than I thought I was, you know? Like was it was it a good thing or a bad thing when you got done with it? That's a great question. I think probably closer to bad. I was really <laughs> I was really confused about my life and what I had been taught and my uh my relationship with Jake as a friend. I go, "Who is this guy?" Right, right. You know, and I, you, you he said, you know, you're not a citizen of this country. I go, what, what my birth certificate? That's what they want you to think. I go, yeah. who's they? What do they want, what do they want me to think? What yeah. the fuck? It's all caps. That means it doesn't yeah. count. Right. You know? I, you know, so we don't have to get into <laughs> that. So the, and I'll, this is the last thing I'll say. The, the one thing about that podcast, though, it made you do was it made me Google stuff. You right. know, I well, wanted to, but I couldn't. Not supposed to I was driving. Duck, duck, go. Yeah. I was driving. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was on the <laughs> podcast, too. Oh, yeah. But now I was they driving. I'm going, you know, 80, 85. Um, on the interstate, and all I want to do is just look up shit. I'm like, right. wait, what is Jake talking about? I need to look this up. And, this and, and it was terrible because I was trying not to. And for people that don't like, like Lebo was in it for one of them when he was talking about the 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 real Paul McCartney died in a car wreck, and then the the fake Paul McCartney. And so, and Lebo was that's the one where Lebo's getting really fucking mad. 
He goes, you fucking believe this shit. And Jake, and, and for a while there, I couldn't tell whether Jake and Jake had kind of believed it, but then we just blew up all these fucking theories, you know, about this shit. And then we're walking down the hall, he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, well, maybe the Paul McCartney thing is a little bit of a stretch. Oh, that was a little bit of a stretch, but everything else <laughs> yeah, is fucking still, it. you know, yeah. uh, hit on perfect key. Yeah. God Our, bless Jake. That's, God, that's, that's right. You know. And people ask me, is that shit real? It, it, it is. He's in a cabin. He's in Colorado. I haven't talked to him since, I think, since the Tyree Kill trade. He's still reeling from that news. And so every now and again, I'll fucking text him some real news, and he won't believe me because now I've floated some fake shit in there, and, you know, as well. <laughs> uh, and so we'll see. Um, and so, so Matt, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Texas. Let's get everyone caught up to date now and then we'll, we'll, we'll rewind. Uh, tell us, you cause you're retired. Todd Lebo was in here commenting about your body saying you're looking very lean and sinewy. Uh, and so you, you, you're, you're retired. That's it, right? You've, you've made that decision. And so you're no longer, you'll, you'll, you don't, there's not any wild hairs up your ass that you want to play again. You're done. Retired is a loose term, but yeah, retired from playing. Right, retired from playing. So, yeah, because people always come up to me, like on the street, and they're you know there's like sixty five, seventy year old guys right. that are coming up. They're like, man, must be nice to be retired. It's like I'm still working. I'm like, well, I retired from yeah. playing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So where? So where? Did, yeah. So where did you see Frank Bowl at? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that old mother. And so, but but you're but, but you're, still you're, working. You're you're sort of but but as a as a professional player. Yeah. I, I feel good. I feel content with it. Um, it's it's crazy how fast just things turn over. Like I was physically, mentally, I was I was grinding for so long that I was struggling at the end of my career just to like keep up, and that was that was one of the reasons why I retired. But honestly, it took it probably took two weeks is all. Two weeks, not thinking about it, not grinding physically, and all of a sudden my body starts changing. It starts if, if I feel great. Like so I. From the physical standpoint, the mental standpoint, I don't miss it. I, I love not having that. Um, I feel really good. I feel healthy. I feel energetic. Um, but the, the, there's parts of the game that I, I'm going to miss for sure, um, that I will miss, the competitive part for sure. So basically, I was spoon-fed a, a competitive urge every single day of my life, and I didn't have to think about it. You know, so... At 9.30 or at 10 o'clock every single morning for two hours, I'm just given this, like, insanely competitive opportunity to compete against other people for two hours every single day. And I didn't have to, like, plan it. It was, like I said, it was spoon-fed to me. Right. So I got used to that, and I got addicted to that. Um, it's a high. It, it, the, the, the competing is a high. And so that gets taken away, and that's probably the, the biggest obstacle that I faced is, like, now, to, to fill that void, like, I've got to find stuff, and it takes effort to find stuff, you know? It's not just given to me. It's just not right in front of me every single day. It's not spoon-fed to me. Like, I've got to go out and, and plan that shit. Like, hey, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to go play basketball with, with these guys, or I'm going to go and play around a golf, or, you know, like, it sucks because it's just not right in front of you anymore. You know, you've got to go out and you've got to chase that. Are you at the stop like, you motherfucker, I'll beat you to this fucking next one. I mean, you, 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 you know, I would think it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's great. It's hard to turn that off because yeah. you had that for so long. But like, you know, I've talked to a lot of athletes, right. That, that have retired and they say, and it sounds like you're not that, that first year. Sometimes doubt will creep in like Grunhard. You know, he had a, he had a chance after he left the Chiefs to play for the bears, his hometown team, you know, one more year. And it took him a while, like, oh, fuck, should I have done it? Should I have done it? 
But then after that first year, there's no more doubt. So after you made the decision, there was no, fuck, did I have one more year? Or should I have done, or when the season started, should I have done this one more year? You, you, were, you were content with the decision after a couple of weeks. Yeah, overall, I was, I was content. You know, I think the, after the first two weeks, uh, when my body just like completely changed and turned and was like, oh my God, I wake up and I'm not feeling my ankle crack every single time and my back's not sore and I can oh, wow. actually walk out of bed. I was like, wait, what's going on? Like, should I keep playing? But I mean, it didn't last very long. And it, even right now, it's like I, part of me says like, God, I, I could have maybe stretched it one more year, but I'm, I'm really happy with the decision. Um, I had seen throughout my career, I had seen so many guys ahead of me that probably took it one year too far and they literally couldn't walk. And right. they were miserable. The last year of their career, they were miserable. They were in pain. They weren't happy. It affected their life, their family, uh, just for one more year. And I always kind of looked at that. I was like, all right, mental note. Like, if I ever get to that point, like, just just call it. I don't, I don't want to experience my last year playing and, and be miserable. And so um, just that thought process, I'm pretty happy. Lebo was in here fucking with you before the podcast started. But you said even the way you eat's different. Now, that, that's like a big change. Right? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that I've noticed right away is just uh, I don't know, just kind of the daily routines and the changes. Like I used to have a big breakfast, uh, I used to have a huge lunch because it was right after practice, and then I would have a, a dinner to basically prepare me for the next day. Like those were three like big moments of my day. I know those are big moments of your day. Oh, I love it. Right? Absolutely. Fuck yeah. Yeah, but uh, but, but I'm preparing for no game. It's just my life. Yeah, because I was burning so many calories. Um, I was burning so many calories and. Uh, but now I'm not really doing that. And so I've really, I'm, I'm just not as hungry. And it's a weird feeling because I get to like 12, 1 o'clock and I'm like, wait, I should be eating a big lunch right now, but I haven't done anything. So I'm not hungry. And then I get to three or four o'clock. I was like, I, I didn't even eat lunch today. It's crazy. So can you watch a game? And it, and, and, or, cause I've, I've watched like even, you know, I, I, I watch football games with ex Chiefs players or it really shows up when I watch a fight with an ex fighter and he'll get up and he's, you know, you're getting into it. Does that, does that get any of your competitive juices flowing if you watch an MLS game or you watch a soccer game? Does that change your mindset at all just for those two hours? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was afraid to watch soccer. Uh, I had built it up in my head that I was like, I'm not going to touch it. I don't even want to watch it the first year. I'm done with it. You know, it's been such a big part of my life. I just want to break from it. So I kind of like built that up in my head and I don't know why I did. I, I, I basically created this like huge obstacle in my head and I was afraid to, to I guess, face it. Uh, but recently I, I started watching soccer and I, I love it. I loved, I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, for example, so at, even at the sporting games, uh, I was afraid to go back to sporting just because I thought I was going to be pissed off and that I thought I was going to, you know, my ego was going to, you know, get, get in my way of like, right. I should still be out there, like F this, you know, and um but that wasn't the case i'm really glad that i put myself in that situation again and that i was able to kind of break through that barrier uh because once i watched that first game and it was in person too it was, it was at the sporting park and i was like oh this is this is great i love being back um one detail i'll add to that is i would prefer to watch the game from up above like when I'm watching from up above or like in the stands, right? it's fine. I feel like I'm just a normal fan. I'm enjoying the game. I'm able to take in other stuff. There's a couple of times I went down on the field. So like before the game, when I got onto the field, I hated it. I hated it because 
it, it that that on the field was too close. If that makes sense. Sure. When I got on the field and I was like, I don't know, it was like this, this crazy, um, just thing that took over my body. Um, it was like muscle memory. It was like, wait, I'm supposed to be getting ready for a game right now. Like my heartbeat started racing. It's too close I got to that the butterfly. Uh, I got butterflies. Like I was getting amped up. I'm like, what am I doing right now? And it's because I was on the field and I was literally like right there. And I, my body had been in that atmosphere so many times that I put myself back in there. And it was like, holy shit, I, what's going on right now? You it's know, crazy. It, it's so funny you say that because, like, the only reference I have for this is, is, is boxing, right? And so, you know, after I was done and I knew I wasn't going to fight anymore, I helped train some fighters. And then you'd, you'd walk to the ring, and then you're walking to the ring, and I feel like fucking cracking someone. I want to punch someone in the fucking crowd because, you know, the music and everything else. And then you get in there. And it's and it's like I, I was you know you're, you're you know and I didn't have that many fights but I sparred a lot I spent a lot of time with that mentality right and some fighters said have said that's why they became trainers because they get that little that 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 high that buzz walk into the ring and they can get the benefit of that without having to get their fucking face punched in right <laughs> but then other guys have said no nah, I, I don't like it I'm done with that and like you said. I don't want to train anybody. I don't want to be in. I, I, I'm I'm done with being in the ring because it's too close to the action, and I'm I've I've moved on from that. So I'll commentate or I'll sit in the crowd or I'll watch it on TV. I don't want to train. I don't want to be back in the gym. So it's, I guess it's just how you handle it. But I could to, I totally understand what you're talking about. You're there and it's like, the fuck should I do here? Do I need to do oh, something? Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? It's bizarre, man. There's bizarre. A, there's a mystical force that exists on a field or court of competition. And the bigger and better the you know the the place is, the more powerful that force is. So like for, for get up on that mic, Nate. I have to tell the fucking radio professional to get closer to the mic. You did great, man. <laughs> so for for people like me that never got to play a professional sport or at a high level, it's um, I'll, like for example, going to do the sporting games with Jacob Peterson. You know, similar guy to you that you know retired recently and. He, we've had a lot of conversations about how tough it is being retired and figuring out what's next. He always wants to walk across the field, like before and after the game when we get to the stadium, like walk on the field itself. And we'll go out there and we'll just stand on the field and look around in the stands. And you just it's almost like this tease of, man, imagine what it's like to play on this thing. And when I used to do the play-by-play for KU women's basketball, I'd always get there a couple hours early. And I'd shoot free throws for 20 minutes by myself in the gym because they'd always have the balls out there. And I would just like pretend I was playing basketball at Allen Fieldhouse. And there's, I see the, like when I do these Invicta fights now, you walk up into that cage and you see the fighters do it too when they get there. They get up into the cage and they walk around. You can see them visualizing things, you know, that how the fight's going to go later that day and all that stuff. And there's just anybody who's ever gotten to play any sport at any level, when you go on a real court or a real field and you look around, there's an energy you get that you can't describe in any other way. And I can't imagine if you've spent thousands of hours actually playing on those fields and then walking back out on, on like you actually got to do it for real you know um, that's what I, that's the that one thing like. i liked about ring announcing i'd get in yeah. there and then you get the put the mic in between the fires you're like you know <laughs> yeah. but then you get out of there like hey i'm good yeah uh, and I, I i might get there one day you know right? like ask me in a year or two and i might be craving that again i'm but like i want to get back yeah. on the field but right now it's it's too fresh like i yeah. Yeah. I just don't like it right now. Is this fucking guy trying to get you to play for Hot Guys United or whatever the fuck? This what is? do you he, think? Well, I mean, this, what I, do you I, think? Well, I want to ask him. 
Has he? How is? Is it like? Does he just ask you, or is it like? Is he put on the full court press? Does he harass you with this? Like, you be honest. There's no feelings here to be hurt. Is he? Is, you know? Because I, I imagine what I think is I think you fucking ask him all the time, and he tries to be nice because he's a nice man, but he doesn't want to, and tries to let you down easy. Have you? Had to turn him down his advances quite a bit. Uh no, nah, Nate, I'm not gonna sell you out. You uh, sell me out, man. No, sell no, I'm out. I'm not because this is the truth. So Nate, Nate's asked me once or twice is all, and I turned him down. <laughs> and he said he's told me he, he says, you know what, I'm gonna respect that. Uh, I don't want to bother you. Um, it's and been then really difficult. The but the, the good thing you know, is he wants to. He says Matt was pretty direct about it. Yeah. He said. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I think I have something going on Friday night, but even if I didn't, I don't think I'd right. want to play. That's right. <laughs> and so, I love that. And so then I was like, oh, he doesn't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pressure. It's funny though, the, the guys, the retired guys, like, um, I, I have harassed Jacob Peterson like every week for two years, and he played one time with us. And then he finally just said, dude, I'm just not playing. It's just not happening. But so I finally gave up. But Benny Failhaber actually called me and wanted to play on the team. Name dropper. Now, I will say this, though. Was, was Nate, Nate, Nate was like sitting in his car like fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, and Boogie Nights. It like, was, yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> you won't play with But here's the thing. Benny will also tell you that he called me uh, this season and cussed me out and told me to never ask Good. to play on the team again because he was so disgusted by the lack of talent on the field around oh, him. There so, it is. so are you the GM? Sounds like you it's, are. He's whatever he fucking. No, your boy be. Noah's the guy. Yeah. But I'm the one that's like that's that's so pathetic that I'll call all these guys and try to get them to play. Okay, you know? Re rewind. Let's go to to Matt Beasler growing up in Kansas City, and so you know people know that you're a KC guy, but this is kind of we utilize these podcasts as more of an origin story. You know, people know all about you and sporting and everything else and all the wonderful things you've done in the community. But let's get let's get to know you a little bit more for people that don't know the whole story. Okay, so so what what part of Kansas City did you grow up in? I grew up in Overland Park, Kansas. Okay, and what what grade school did you go to? I went to Stanley Elementary. Okay. It's across the street from Blue Valley High School. Okay, so when so 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 uh, I, I imagine you were a great athlete. What sports did you play as a youngster? I played all the sports. I played uh, baseball in the summers. Played soccer in the fall and spring. Played basketball. So it was just much different back then because I used to get asked, oh, what's your favorite sport? And my answer was like, well, what, what season is it? Right. Can, can, my, we, can we use that as a fucking lesson? Oh, my god! Let kids play a bunch of fucking sports, yes. please. I can't stand the, the specialization. Every, right. every school I go to, they always ask me that question. And I, I'm honest with them. I'm like, if you want my advice, if you want my opinion, don't specialize. Play as many sports as you can. I don't care what the coaches are telling you. Tell them that Matt Beasler told you. This is how you do it. That's right. My daughter loves playing basketball. That's her thing, right? But she plays volleyball. And then like two weeks before softball season, she goes, I want to try softball. I said, well, let's fucking go. She's out there. She don't know what she's doing. She's unsure how many people are supposed to be on the field, but she's having a fucking blast. <laughs> yeah. And she's looking over there, giving me thumbs up, laughing. I'm laughing. And it doesn't matter who wins or loses. And, but, and basketball is her thing, but play all the sports. Yeah. Remember, it's supposed to be fun. You're a kid, right? Totally. I love it. Okay, so you're playing it all. I interrupted you. You're 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 a kid. You play all the sports. Yeah. And and so when 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 was it apparent that oh soccer? I'm really fucking good at soccer. Yeah. So uh, all the way up until eighth grade, I, I basically just played whatever season it was. That's what I focused on. So bas uh, winter time, it was just basketball. I loved basketball. Got super into it. In the summertime, it was. It was baseball. Um, but then once I got into high school, 
I dropped. I decided to drop baseball just because I knew that the commitment. You know, we, I was playing out at Miller's Woods. Uh, you know, we were probably playing 20, 20 games the summer. You know, you'd, you'd start at Memorial Day and you end at Labor Day with the big Labor Day tournament. And around what year is this? Give us an idea of, of... this is this is uh, this is right at eighth grade. So like like what like for, for people. Oh, sorry. So are, this yeah. is uh, like ninety nine two thousand. Okay, right. So um, dr- decided to drop baseball just because I knew the commitment was going to increase uh, once you get to high school. I mean, you've got to dedicate like your entire summer and you're playing like 50, 60 games. So I was like, ah. I love baseball. I like baseball. I don't love it enough to continue playing. So basically narrowed it down to soccer and basketball. Uh, played basketball my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Where at? Blue Valley West. Okay. Uh, played for a coach named Donnie Campbell. Uh, you know who Donnie Campbell, why he's famous now? Go on. So uh, oh, of course. Ted yes. Lasso, right. you know, that's who that's who Jason Sudeikis based his character off of. And so you're there and, and so but you, I mean, you're good enough to play in high school. You're playing basketball. So you like that. Yeah, really like basketball. Uh, decent little point guard. Uh, lots of steals, layups, all that stuff. Um, and then I had to make a big decision. And this was this was a tough moment for me um, in my life and a big moment for me. I remember I, I got invited to go and play in Italy uh, for for soccer and it was this you know Damn. travel team and they were selecting some of the best players from around the the region and the country and but the problem it was over Thanksgiving and so Thanksgiving is always a big uh, time for basketball season in high school there's always mm-hmm. a big Thanksgiving tournament and that's kind of the start of the season and so, so you weren't just all soccer you were soccer and basketball at this point but you were a clearly a hell of a soccer player to get this kind of uh, offer in, in yeah in some ways but in my mind I had just this was kind of the first big opportunity for soccer and so I went in I remember I went into my basketball coach's office and I said look um, he knew that I was a soccer player um, and I said look I've got this big opportunity I'm going to Italy uh, not many kids get to do this it's going to be amazing for you know college recruiting all this stuff right but the problem it was it was a two-week trip to Italy and so I was going to miss like, like 10 practices of, for basketball season. And his rule at the time was every practice that you miss, you had to miss a game. Oh, shit. So if you miss two practices, you got to sit out two games. I go, wait, so for me, like that, I got to sit out 10 games because I missed 10 practices? He's like, yeah, I'm not bending for anybody. So I was like, come on, like I can't do that. That's, that's over half the season. Like that's not going to make sense. And long story short, I, I made the difficult decision to, to stop playing. Uh, because of because of that trip, and so I, I went on the I went on the Italy trip, played soccer. Um, I mean, I guess the rest is history. But that was that was the last time that I played basketball. Were your parents like when, when they, were they were they on board with this? Like, did they want you to go to Italy? Were they apprehensive? Like, how, what what was your family's opinion of this offer? Yeah, my parents were were behind me, but they also they wanted me to kind of step up and and go through the process by myself. So they were, you know, talking me through it and stuff. But like, I had to go into the coach's office myself. I had to go and talk to them. Um, I mean, I was in tears. I spent many, many nights at the dinner table trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And because of it, basketball, because of basketball, and 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 still to this day, uh, not being able to play basketball in high school is my biggest regret. Wow. So yeah. I've read this. I've read this a little bit in your book. And one of the things I wondered when I read it, um, when I was in high school. At Bishop Ward in the early 90s, I started playing. Uh, I, I didn't start playing soccer until my junior year because I was just trying to get in shape for basketball. 
And at that time at Ward, like our athletic director did not recognize soccer as a legitimate sport. That was for the sissies that couldn't play football. Basically, was his mind. We weren't even allowed to play on. We had to play at a public park because he just he didn't take it seriously. W- was it like? Do you think w- was that different at your high school? And and if if it was football or something that was like a more traditional American sport, do you think he would have been more uh, flexible with you and working on it, or was this just his hard and fast rule? Well, so that's that's a that's a difficult question for me to answer. I, I you know you're going to have to ask him. But I think what what happened looking back and having the perspective that I do now. So the, the high school I went to, Blue Valley West, was just opening. It was a brand new high school, and so Coach Campbell had gone over from Shawnee Mission West, and so he was a tr- he was trying to establish a culture at the new school, mm. and he had this reputation. He's like a Bob Knight disciple. Like Bob Knight, that, that's like who, that's his guy. That's right. how he coached, and he was coming from Shawnee Mission West, like very blue collar school, like tough kids, like a great school, all that. And so he wanted to bring this this culture over to Blue Valley and start this. So I think the fact that it was his first year, uh, mm. play, he, he played into it. Yeah, um, I will say that. So my my middle brother, who was three years after me, he was a big football and basketball guy. So he didn't have this issue, but he played for Coach Campbell. And they did really well. They won a state championship. And then my youngest brother, who's six years younger than me, soccer player, he had the same issues, and Coach Campbell let him play. So my, my youngest oh, brother— were you, were you fucking pissed? Yeah. But I, I was happy for him. I right. was happy now, for my brother. Happy for him, but he got to, that. Yeah. He got to play with his boys. Like, that's the thing. You grow up playing basketball with all your, all your friends, and basketball is, like, awesome. I love it. And on Friday nights, like, I was sitting in the stands— you know, I was having fun because I was cheering them on, but like, damn, I should be out on the court with my guys. And what are the so, and, and what are the ages of the siblings in your family? And, you know, the, the age differences. Yeah, so mentioned? three and three. Okay. Yeah, so we're all three years apart. And, and so, something you said that struck me. You know, here you are, you accomplished so many great things in your soccer career, right? But I mean, I could see the look on your face when you said you still had that regret of not playing those two years of high school basketball, and that resonates with me differently because I was on the wrestling team. I was doing pretty well, but it, at the time, just going through shit, my, my parents had split up. I stopped giving a fuck about grades. I just, I just didn't. You know what I mean? I was going to do whatever I could to pass. Well, dummy didn't realize you got to stay academically ineligible, and, and I got, at, at semester, I got kicked off the wrestling team because my grades were bad, and I, that still sticks with me to this day. Like, Fuck, you were doing good. You had won a couple of matches. You were excited. There was, was something that you loved doing. And because you were in different circumstances, but I think about that all the time. Like, if I'd have just done my shit, I could have, I, I, and I missed that, you know? And it, I saw that in your eyes that you've accomplished so much as an athlete that that still fucking sticks with you right now, doesn't it? It does. I, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just, but it's there. It's powerful stuff. So, um, I got cut from the basketball team at Ward my sophomore year. I was like five foot three. And I was super hurt about it, right? And then my junior year, I'd, I'd sprouted to the big five foot eight that I okay, am sure. now. But I refused to go out for the basketball team that year because I was still mad at the coach for cutting me the year before. And he didn't even really have tryouts that year because they were, they were thin on numbers. So what I a little trick you were. And then my senior year, some of my buddies talked me into going back mm. out. And I made the team and I made varsity and I started varsity. But the first half of the year, I was terrible because I, was, I hadn't played competitively in two years. And my coach called me into the office at the end of the season and said, 
you're the smartest basketball player I ever coached, but you're the dumbest thing of any player I've ever coached because you didn't play last year because of your pride, and you didn't hurt anybody but yourself. And that's my biggest regret from high school is like, man, I could have had a decent senior year because by the second half of my senior year, I was, I was okay. I wasn't ever great, but I was okay. And I could have been, like, decent my whole senior year, and I, and I could have had that extra year of, of playing with my buddies. But I, so I want to ask you guys both this then. I will say that as much as I regret that, I learned things from that 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 carried me into my my college life and my professional career where I'm not going to make that mistake again. And it helped inform the way I approached my career and everything else. So in a weird way, I'm kind of grateful that it happened because it it because it hurt so bad that I did such a stupid thing and I wasn't going to do that again. Did did that like affect I'm not you at grateful. all? I was a dumbass. I fucked up. I yeah. wish I could go back and change. Yeah, I'm but, 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 you, just, you know. but you know you were a dumbass and you learned from it, no? no? no that's no, tough. Man. It's tough. Nah. But that's why sports are great. You know, yeah. that's why you got to go out and One just of play different sports. And... Fucking cheerleaders that love wrestlers that I like <laughs> fucking like me and I'd won. Yeah. I, you know, and then as soon as I was kicked out of the wrestling, she didn't fucking look at me for two but years. But you might be divorced from her right now and you never would have met Susan. Well, you know divorced. what I mean? Hey, so easy. Yeah, that's so right. I'll add one last thing and we can move on from, from the basketball. Um, so, uh, Fast forward, so I made the decision to, to not play high school basketball uh, my sophomore year. And then the summer going into my senior year, so in between junior, senior year, the summer, uh, my brother was an eighth grader, and he was, he was uh, going to be a freshman. So I was going to be senior, he's going to be a freshman. My brother was a, a big-time basketball player, so he was, he was already kind of getting pulled up to, to the varsity as Mike. a freshman. This is Mike. And so he got invited to play like on the high school AAU team the varsity team yeah. as an eighth grader, uh, which was really cool for him. And they actually invited me to go and play in a tournament, uh, and which was really special for me. It was down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I said, yeah, I haven't played. I haven't played in like a year, but like for sure I'm in. I'm in. And it was awesome. It was an unbelievable experience for me. And like having that taste, I was like, holy shit, like I got I to gotta play. I got to play my senior year. Like how cool is it to be on the court with my brother? We've never been able to play because three years, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big gap for sports. But uh, anyways, I'm, I'm running around like crazy because I'm a soccer player and I'm fit. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Steph Curry just like that's running right. around trying to, you know, chase people, all that stuff. And uh, had a great tournament, great experience. One of the last games, uh, I think I was running around too much. And I, I planted, and I ended up breaking my ankle. Oh, shit. So I, I, I broke a bone in my ankle, and this was, like, late summer. Ended up missing, like, the first, you know, couple of weeks of high school soccer season. And I was like, yep, not, I was not meant it. to be. <laughs> not meant to be. Moving on. I'm done. Okay, so you're, you're playing soccer, and, and then we know you went to Notre Dame. Okay, so what, what, what's that like? Because we hear a lot about the recruiting process now that it is for basketball and for, for football. What's it like as an elite soccer player to be recruited? I mean, is there a bag man anywhere involved in this fucking thing? Are there any improper benefits or people? I mean, are you getting harassed by different schools? Uh, is it more of a laid back process? Like, what, take us through what it was like to be recruited and how you ended up at Notre Dame. Yeah, so I, I loved it. I mean, I love the attention. I'm a, I'm a high school kid. Right. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, getting letters and getting phone calls. So. Uh, when I was going through the process, cell phones were cell phones were out, but they weren't really a thing. Uh, I had a cell phone, but it was basically you know to like call your parents and whatever, check in and all that stuff. There's definitely not text messaging anything right. like that. So the majority of the calls were were on our house line. So I rem I remember I kind of had my little station set up in our basement, like 
they they put a phone down there, and so if a coach called, I could go down there and you know have like a professional conversation with them, and it was really fun. It was just fun learning about it and and talking with people. And um, I remember when I got the first letter from Notre Dame, um, I had I knew I knew I knew Notre Dame just from football because they were on NBC every Saturday. But I honestly I didn't even know where it was. I didn't know it was in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, but I remember getting the letter and. There was this gold indie. It was the logo, and it was just, it just like, I don't know. It was that moment where gotcha. you get it in the mail, and it's like, oh man, like this looks nice. Like this is there's something about this gold logo on the envelope. I don't know. And I showed it to my dad, and and he he started. He had tears in his eyes, and I realized like Notre Dame was his dream. But also, you're Catholic, so any Catholic family Catholic. that's you know grew up Catholic. Had you seen Rudy? It had seen Rudy, hey, had yeah. seen Rudy. So like right away, I was like, oh man, like this is hitting my dad differently. Right. Like this is, this means something. And so I was like, wait, what is this? Like, what's Notre Dame? Tell me more, tell me more. And to be fair to my dad, like he stayed out of the process as much as he could. Like I knew he was excited, uh, but uh, went and visited Notre Dame and it was just something about campus. Like it's, it's a feeling that I had. I walked onto campus. I was like, man. I can see myself going to the school. Like I looked at the people walking the campus. There was just something about them. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't California. It wasn't the East coast. It was like, these guys are wearing hoodies. They're throwing the football around. They, you know, they're going to class. They take school seriously, which, which is what I was doing, but they also were having a good time. They were going and drinking beer on the weekends and they were partying and all that stuff. I was like, this is, this is my fit. Cause that's not an attraction to some, Hey, they're going to class and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but, you know, but some people like, you know, that wouldn't, but you, you, was, you were yeah. a student athlete. You cared about that. It was the right balance. Right. Okay. So who, who, who else was in, in contention? If not Notre Dame, like who, who, if they like, say if Notre Dame didn't offer you. Yeah. Like, so where else? the schools I was looking at was Northwestern in Chicago. I was looking at Creighton. Which is That's probably good. the closest Division One at Where the time. Seth went too, yeah. right? Seth went to Creighton. Uh, I went to Mich- or I uh, was looking at Michigan. So my aunt uh, is the women's field hockey coach at Michigan. Oh wow! So I always had that connection growing up. And then I was looking at Stanford. So it was basically between. At the end of the day, it was between Stanford and Notre Dame. I was going to say Stanford. You hear about people visiting that yeah. that campus as well. So was it was it close, or was it just when you visited Notre Dame? This is it. This is where I want to go. Pretty much, pretty really? much. I mean, I, I was Stanford is is beautiful, right? But it's just different. The feeling of that campus is just different. The feeling I had at Stanford was that, I mean, these people are serious about like these people aren't here to be in college. These people are here to like start the next million dollar company. You know what I mean? Like I could feel that just by walking around. Like these people, like they mean business. That's pretty good. And so. I don't know. I guess I was intimidated by that a little bit. Um, looking back, you want to be a college kid. Yeah, and Notre Dame, it just it felt I don't know a little bit more relaxed. I it's guess Midwestern, you know. Yeah. You know, not, not... Well, there's there is. I mean, like the, the Stanford thing. It's like everybody's got their resume in their hand. They're trying to work deals and all that stuff. And you're like, you know, you want to college is college. You know, you want to do a little bit of that. Hey, real quick, because you mentioned it, your aunt that was the field hockey coach at Michigan. You got to tell Steven the story when you didn't you get to go watch her in the Olympics? Yeah, I'll tell that story for okay. sure. Um, so my aunt Marsha Pankratz, she was an incredible athlete. Uh, she went to Iowa and played field hockey for Iowa. She actually was named the the women's athlete of the decade 
uh, in at Iowa, I think in the must have been in the nineties. Uh, but anyways, we went to the Olympics, Atlanta, nineteen ninety six. She participated. She played for for Team USA in field hockey. So my family got to go to the Olympic Games, which was an incredible experience. Um, and I assume you want me to tie in kind of the whole like the World Cup stuff, whatever, or what? whatever you want, man. I yeah. just think like, cause didn't you get to hang out in Olympic Village and all that stuff? And I yeah. just thought Stephen would find that pretty fascinating. It was really cool. It was it was really cool. So um, I'll, I'll kind of tell the whole story. So we the the day that we're leaving uh, for Atlanta. So this is '96. I'm uh, eight years old. And the day we're leaving, we have like a 7 a.m. flight, you know, so we're up at like 4.35. My mom and dad are trying to scramble, get us all the kids, you know, out the door so we're not late. And, of course, you know, I'm eight years old. I go down the living room. I turn on the TV, and they're yelling at me, and they're saying, get the, you know, I'm trying to watch cartoons. I'm trying to watch my Rugrats, you know. And they're like, get the TV off. We got to go. And I'm flipping through the channels, and it goes to CNN. And what happened? The bombing? The bombing. Yeah. That night. The oh, bombing. shit. I was going to ask you if you were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Bombing happened that night, and so then all of a sudden we're scrambling. We're, oh, are we going? Are we not going? Right. Um, so we end up going, and, you know, that was just like a whole different kind of experience, just, you know, being around that and the tension and everything. That'd be some scary shit, though, for it an was. eight-year-old. It was scary. Right? It was scary. Um, for the internet, too, so you don't really know. 100% what's going on, right? Like, no. I mean, I guess there's internet, but not like it is now. But security yeah. had to be heightened when he got there, and everyone was obviously cognizant of what had happened, and yeah. everyone's talking about it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we had the fortune of just having some amazing access to the Olympic Village, the, the um, where the players go, the Athlete Village, it's called. And my aunt took us in, and, you know, we were playing, I think, like, N64 had just came out. So we were playing N64, and then all of a sudden, uh, the women's gymnastics team like walks by, and they're playing right next to me. And it's it's Shannon Miller and Dominique Mociano. Oh wow! If you remember those yeah. two, so like eight year old boy, it's like those two are like, whoa, okay, <laughs> what are these feelings that I'm feeling right now? Right. This is uh... <laughs> so 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 young and unsure of yeah. your surroundings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so got to yeah <laughs> got to see them. Um, Matt my... <laughs> sweating profusely while playing video games. We don't understand. Michael Johnson was the other big one. That was oh, like shit. that was his yeah. record break. Olympics where he you know set the record in the 400 and 200 and I think he ran 102 but he had those gold shoes so we got yeah. to run into him get a picture it was an inc- it was it was amazing um very very fortunate that I got to experience that and so I I've always looked up to my to my aunt just because she was really uh kind of the example of like what you could achieve in sports it was like wow like you could actually make a living doing this. You could go and play in the Olympics or World Cup or whatever it was. And so I, I really did. I always just kind of admired her um, from afar. And uh, she actually, when I played in the World Cup, she sent me an unbelievable email. Um, and she basically told me and wrote this long email. She goes, Matt, you know, now that you're an adult, you know, I've never really got to tell you this. And I never realized this myself until I got to watch you play at the World Cup because what I realized by watching you play at the World Cup, you gave your family this unbelievable gift. You know, you brought your family together for these two weeks during the World Cup and you brought them closer and you gave them this moment, this 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 pride moment that that pulled the family closer together. And I got to see your parents and how emotional they were and I got to see your grandparents and all these things. And 
Um, he goes, she, and she just said, until until I got to watch you play, I never realized that that's what I was doing for my family during the Olympics. And she was just like, thank you for you know providing that perspective. And wow. uh, man, it was a, it was a really cool email to get, especially because I always looked up to her as a kid. And you know, it was I don't know, it was this just great adult moment. Well, that's unbelievable. You and know, so I, I could back that up just for because I don't think I've ever told you this. That he, Stephen and I were hosting all the watch parties, you know, down in the Power and Light, and, and we were giving your T-shirts away and all that stuff, and it was this. Everybody in the city was like as proud of you as your family was. But what was cool for us is like we're like we're friends with that guy, but your brother Mike and your dad, during that whatever that was three weeks you were down there whatever would call me and talk about you for like a half an hour. And I know I'm usually the one talking, talking, talking. I don't believe. I know it doesn't sound hard to believe. But like they would just like, especially your brother Mike, he was so freaking proud of you. And he would just tell me all about, you know, Matt's doing this. And and what what do you think about this? And like, it was like, they just wanted to talk to anybody that would listen about what you were doing, which was pretty cool. So, so take me, uh, take me on the bridge from Notre Dame you go through Notre Dame and, and then how you end up with sporting Kansas city. Yeah. So I went to Notre Dame and I had always dreamed of being a professional athlete. You know, that was like the pipe dream. It's what I wrote down in class. The teachers are like, all right, you got to pick something else this year. You've done this for six straight years. Uh, but I, I truly, I, I went to Notre Dame. My, my goal was to get a D one scholarship. I just, I wanted to be a college athlete. You know, I wanted to get, you know, some of my, my school partially paid for, like that was the goal. And so once I got to college, I'm like, all right, like now what? Um, I, I wasn't a kid that entered college. It was like, all right, I'm here to go pro. I'm here to go. You know, I, I, I really wanted that college experience. I was like, I want to get my degree. And it wasn't until probably my junior year of college where the coach sat me down. He's like, Hey, just so you know, like you're progressing. And if you stay on track, like you're going to have a chance to play pro. And like my jaw was like, hit the desk. I'm like, wait, what? I, I really, you never really thought of yourself in that way. I guess I didn't know I didn't. And so once he told me that my mind, sh- my, my mind shifted and I was like, I'm going for this. Um, I still kept up at school on at school as much as I had to, but like I, my focus and my attention and energy was like, I'm going to make it pro. So I started, you know, really training extra, um, started researching about what I needed to do, you know, the combine agents, all that stuff. And, uh, played my senior year. And after my senior year, there's, there's a combine for the seniors, just like all the other sports. And then there's a draft, just like all the other sports, uh, got drafted by Kansas city and yeah, the rest how, is history. How, so. how, did, how did you take me to that moment when you find out the Kansas city's drafting you? Yeah. So that's an interesting story. So, um, the days leading up to the draft, we were at the hotel and the teams have a bunch of meetings with the players. And so I had, I probably had six or seven meetings with different teams. And, you know, they ask you all the questions about your family and, you know, they want to, they want to get to know you. And, um, I had gone through all those interviews. Kansas city was not one of those teams, which I was a little disappointed to, you know, I always, I was, I was happy to go anywhere. I was like, Oh my God, I'm living my dream. I'll play wherever. Right. But like, part of me is like, man, it'd be pretty sweet if Kansas city was one of those teams. Uh, but they weren't. Um, and so I was just like, all right, not thinking about it. And, the night before the draft, I was told that New York was picking me with their first pick, and they had pick number seven. 
And so I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. So like, you're like, this, fuck yeah. New yeah, York I was or, like, damn. Okay. Uh, so I was I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going first round, right. number seven. Uh, part of me was like, holy shit, I'm going to New York. Uh, that sucks. Okay. Because, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of New York. It's just too big for me. Um, I, I would you. love to visit, but like, I'm 21. Yeah. I don't want to go live in New York. I'm right. making like, I was making 36 grand my, my rookie right. year. It's like, so anyways, the night before... I'm like dreaming and thinking like and stressing about, oh my God, where am I going to live? What kind of apartments are like 2,500 a month? Like, oh, blah, blah. So day of the draft, New York's up and they call a timeout. So I can see this happening because I'm there. The draft is in St. Louis and I can see the floor and each team has their own little like desks or whatever. Are you shitting there? Like what's going on? Yeah. There? So they call a timeout, you know? So there's like a three minute timeout. And, like, all these teams are, like, picking up their phones. I'm like, okay, like, what's going on? You know, like, uh, maybe I'm not going. And anyways, the commissioner comes up and uh, says, like, there's been a trade, yada, yada. Uh, you know, this. I, I guess at this point it was now the eighth pick. But they said now with the, with the eighth pick, you know, Kansas City selects Matt Beasler. And I'm just, like, looking at everybody. I'm like, oh, my God, no way, no way. So I go up on stage and – can't even remember what I said. I blacked out and got drafted by Kansas City. It's, I mean, so you think you go one second, you think you're going to New York, and then you go to Kansas City. I what, mean, did, what did your fucking family do? They had to go crazy. Yeah, I I don't even remember, man. I don't. It was you, just it's just yeah. it just happened, right? It was crazy. You know what? I remember. So I I got drafted. I I shook hands with Peter and Kurt Anolfo, who was the coach at the time. Peter was the GM, and then I got like shuffled back into this back room and i got handed a cell phone and they're like you got to do an interview and it was with 810 oh boy it was with 810 um and it was just crazy because like at that moment i'm like oh my god i, I grew up listening i grew up I, I was a listener to 810 and now i'm freaking doing an interview live because i'm a professional athlete in like, your hometown uh, the station you listen yeah. to what a yeah okay so then let, 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 let's get to I know we're kind of skipping forward here, but I want to try to get everything in before we run out of time. Take me to the first moment when you when you suit up in your hometown for your hometown team. It was it was in it was my rookie year. It was very big. It was actually the second game, um, and it was probably forty degrees and rainy. It's cold as shit. Uh, typical March. Kansas City. City Day. Windy. We were playing out at Community America. Uh, it's hard to think back on that. It was just, it was a long time ago. Um, I definitely did not have perspective on it. I was naive. I was just happy to be out there. Um, so I think in a way it was it was good. You know, if, if I would have been trying to like analyze like, what does this mean? How am I feeling right now? Like I would have been nervous as shit, and I would have played. Awful. You're young. You didn't know what you. Didn't yeah, know I was just like, this it. is a game. Like, let's go out and do it. You know. What, what was of all these moments you talked about? You know, the, the World Cup and uh, the letter you got from your aunt. You know, we know you won MLS Cup. You did a lot of great things to supporting Kansas City. When you look back at, at your career, give me one or two moments that you do. If you have a private moment, if you think back, that that, that you like to sit back and remember that you can think back to that gives you those chills, the greatest moments. Uh, if you're going to put moments in a, in a, you know, a time capsule for your kids to look back in 20 or 30 years and 
this is this is what my dad wants me to remember to know about his career. Give me the the the, the two or three goosebump moments of, of your career as a soccer player. Oh man, that's tough. Because um, you've had so many. <laughs> Nate, you might have to help me out on this because I know that you uh, you've got them locked up in your memory. Uh, I've got, right I've now. got, got them tattooed on his yeah. ass. Trust yeah. me, we know that. So one of the one of my favorite times in my career was when I decided to stay in Kansas City. Uh, so that was a big decision for me. So post-World Cup 2014, I was getting a lot of interest in getting offers to go play overseas. Now, there it was complicated because I was still under contract and there's a bunch of crazy rules with MLS, and I, I won't get into any of those details, but um, I, was, I was considering um, and, and exploring leaving Kansas City and going to play in Europe. And I eventually made the decision to sign a long-term it was a it was a four and a half year deal, which is very long term in soccer. And to basically pledge and stay in Kansas City for the prime of my career. And that's a moment that really sticks out to me of it was just fun. It was cool to to be that guy and in, in that moment of like, I'm not going anywhere. And I don't care that I could get paid more over in Europe and I could go and do what everybody else is telling me that I'm supposed to do because it's better over there. And it's like, I don't care about any of that shit. I'm having the time of my life in Kansas city. We just won. I just got named captain. I'm in the prime of my career. I'm not fucking going anywhere. Cause I'm sure some people in the soccer world thought you were crazy. Are Absolutely. You kidding? I was getting criticized city? about, ah, uh, Beasler's taking the easy road out. He doesn't want to challenge himself. He shouldn't get called up to the national team anymore because he doesn't want to go play. That's in the Europe most annoying he... fucking thing about U.S. <laughs> that, soccer fans. But by did the that way, piss right you there. off oh, when you heard me. that shit? It fueled me. You know, it, it fueled me. And uh, can but, I tell, can I tell you something funny about that, Matt? Yeah. This is this ties it all in. So you'd been coming on our show for several years at that point in time. Oh, he was a nervous wreck when he thought you were going to. And uh, we were hosting those watch parties, the World Cup, and uh, we ended up. Rob Heineman and some of the other, you know, big wigs at sporting were, were drinking with us after one of the games or something. And Rob says, you know, he's, he's drinking with Steven and he's like, Hey, yeah, give us some more coverage on the air. Talks. He was, he was giving Steven shit about talking more soccer. And Steven goes, why don't you sign our fucking boy? <laughs> to a yeah, he did. And I was like, this. Steven, <laughs> hey. you want me to talk about hey. you guys? Why don't you step up and sign our fucking boy? He said it just like that, too. I had a, I had, I had a, I had a couple. I respect <laughs> that. I love I had that. a couple. I mean, you know, but but still that like I'm looking at it from a Kansas City guy. I'm looking at it from, you know, different people have a different perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we wanted you to stay. And that said something also. About MLS, right? Because you want people to pick MLS and pick it. So that was that was a big thing for Major League Soccer as well that, it, that you yeah. were staying. I mean, it ended up being like I. I but you weren't it, thinking about that. No, you were just no, no. Here. I was just thinking about yeah, trying to make the best decision I could. But you know, the 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 weeks following that decision, it was just like I said, it was it was a fun time to to experience because you're running into people all over the city. You know. Before games, after games, at the grocery store, at restaurants, and people are just coming up to you and like, like, thank you, thank you for staying, you know. And it just, I felt like I was, I was just part of the city, you know. I felt like uh, a person that I've always been, I guess, you know. I'm, I'm, we're all from Kansas City. We know what it's like, and I just, it, it, 
I don't know. It was a, it was a rush and it was a high to kind of experience that. What was it like? Uh, I mean, I know it's it's so hard to ask you these questions because it's 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 such an emotional thing. But representing the United States in in the World Cup, in in those moments, you know, hearing the national anthem or knowing that well, everyone in the fucking world is watching me right now, and I'm living out the dream of every single soccer player that has ever played this game. I'm doing it. Yeah, uh, it, it's. That's another one that's hard to explain, and there's kind of two thought processes. So, again, I I was trying to be in the moment at the time because I didn't want to think big picture. Because if I started thinking big picture, I was going to shit my pants. <laughs> because if I'm thinking, wait, how many people are watching this on live television right now? How many people are back in Kansas City at the Power and Light right. cheering for me? How many kids dream of doing this and I'm getting to do it like that's not a good thing to think about and that's all the game. true too it is it's yeah. not, it, it is all true but you don't want to be thinking of that before the game because I mean you you just you want to be calm you want to be you got to focus um, on the task it's fucking hard though it like, is it's hard but the thing, say that. the thing that helped me I still remember this is the first game of the world cup we're out there on the field Whew, I got goosebumps it's like oh my gosh this is different this energy this vibe in the stadium is different than I've ever experienced before. So I'm kind of like figuring out what I want to do and I'm warming up. And usually I kind of take a few laps like across the field. And all of a sudden, just by chance, Graham Zussi's running with me. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. And we both kind of like almost laugh at each other and chuckle. We're like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? This is crazy. You guys were roommates in your parents' basement. We were roommates. And then, and then World Cup. Yeah, and so I, I think we even, you know, vo verbalized it like, like, hey, man, we've done this together before. Or like, this is, this is like any other game. You know, how many times have we warmed up together already in our careers? It's hundreds of times, so let's go out and do it again. And so I think that moment was kind of gave me that security of uh, just kind of being with him and going through it together. And uh, But yeah, to go to really answer your question, I mean, it's, it really that kind of stuff just doesn't hit you until after the game or after the tournament where you're really can able or you allow yourself to sit down and reflect. Okay, so um international play. Uh what what's cuz I asked you this on the on the on the we got about 12 minutes here so I got to hit a lot yeah, of shit. Yeah, we're good. What's the worst fucking thing that you've seen an opposing fan throw at you, do to you that you've seen in cuz we've seen some terrible shit, you know, and I mean, I, we were watching the the match in in Mexico yeah. where fans were beating beating the shit out of each. Yeah. I mean, the, I can imagine you've seen some horrible fucking shit. But was there a point ever like you were scared for your life, or you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Or boy, this is, I can imagine in Mexico or whatever. But give me something like the craziest shit you've ever seen. You know, you know, you know, playing on the road someplace. I'll give you two stories, and okay. I'll try and be quick. So, no. the so Mexico is famous. Azteca Stadium, it's it's over a hundred thousand people. The the first time I played in that stadium, it's it's a it's almost like an out of body experience. Just there's so many factors that go into why it why it's such a tough venue. The tremendous air quality, the air quality, the pollution, <laughs> the altitude, the the city itself, the fans. Mexico's fucking good all the time, which makes it hard. Uh, but the thing they do at Azteca is, so they pick you up from your hotel in the charter bus. You're all on the bus. 
and you're going through and you, you drive to the stadium. It takes about 20 minutes. And when they get to the stadium, they get off like two exits early. Then they probably should get off. So they go down the back roads. Oh, oh so they're going through these neighborhoods and all the Mexican fans know because they do it every game. Right. So they get off early and all the Mexican fans are out and you're driving through these neighborhoods and you're like, like oh man, like, I don't want our bus to break down. This is crazy. This is hostile. And then they get to the stadium and instead of pulling in, they do a lap around the stadium. <laughs> so, you know, it takes like five or 10 minutes. And so it just, it's another 10 minutes that you're sitting there looking out your window and people are throwing their drinks and rocks and at the bus mad. and they're giving you the fingers and they're yelling at you and whistling at you. And it kind of just sets the, it, it sets the tone of, you know, you've got 20 minutes to sit there and think like, wow, this is going to suck. This is going to be hard. <laughs> They're going to be loud. Um, so that one sticks out. And then the other one was actually down in Honduras. We were down in San Pedro Sula, which at the time we were playing, they were saying, like, it's the, the murder capital of the world or something like that, like, you know, per capita. Good God. So uh, throw that out there to start your trip. That's a good <laughs> feeling. Um, but anyways, Welcome to the murder capital of the world. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I was actually not playing at the time. Uh, so I was one of the players. I was the only player that that wasn't dressing for that game. Um, and so they put me up in this, like, they called it a suite, but it wasn't a suite. Uh, it was just this room up top. It didn't have windows. It was just, like, open air. So that's, that's where I watched the game. This U.S. soccer official took me up there, you know, locked the door, and I, like, got to watch the game because I wasn't allowed to watch on the bench. There's only a certain amount of people that can watch on the bench. And so he, he, you know, at halftime or something, he leaves. He goes, I'm going to go down. I'll be right back. You can imagine what's happening next. Oh, fuck. So he doesn't come back. And so the game ends. Like, the whole the game ends. We lose. We lose two to one. And I'm like, what, what do I do? Oh, what do shit. I do? Like, I can't. Should I leave? Like, and so <laughs> I, I'm, like, watching the team. The team's on the field. Like, all the trainers <laughs> and everybody, like, they're on the field. And they all, like, walk into the locker room. I'm like, and you're there dude, in this I'm room. stuck. This, I'm stuck. And all the fans know that we got a U.S. national team player up here in this booth. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> I can't leave because I, I'm not walking like in the general public. Fuck no. Um, so I wait a little bit longer, and I end up crawling out like the front window of the suite to like get down into this like other section where I because like all the fans are kind of like leaving the stadium. So I didn't want to go out the other way because I'd be on the concourse. Right. Because I was wearing all U.S. soccer stuff. Oh, shit. So I basically jumped, kind of went out the front of the window and got like back into the stadium and like raced down the the stairs of the stadium and like hopped onto the field and ran into the locker room and met the team in the locker room. How fast was your heart beating? I was so nervous. That was one of my first ever trips, too, because I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, so so. We got about ten minutes. We'll wrap up with. Um, you went through a, a very difficult situation with a concussion, you know, and and, and we talked about this. I, I actually we we spent like twenty minutes after I had a car wreck. I had yep. I, I went through vestibular therapy and everything for you. I still have shit I deal with. Yep. Uh, that was fucking awful. And I mean, I know it's, it's probably still hard to talk about uh, for you. Um, do you still deal with anything from the from from that concussion that episode? What, how does that stick with you? Because uh, that that's that for many people it's a life changing episode, and I know that you were, I mean, you were really fucking scared. I mean, that was that was a terrible 
ordeal for you, right? Well, and weren't you in a hospital somewhere in Central America with a doctor speaking Spanish standing over you, getting ready to do, like, brain surgery and stuff? Isn't that part of the story? Yeah. Uh, so my Think con- how scary that is. Right. Yeah, my concussion happened happened in Guatemala, and so I had to stay overnight in the hospital, and uh, it was actually on... I think it was like Easter weekend, so it was Good Friday, which Guatemala is a very Catholic country, and they essentially shut down for Holy Week and you know Good Friday and Easter, all that stuff. So uh, the hospital was like closed, and the doctor was on vacation, and so oh, he had to. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit <laughs> he had to like drive in, and they were you know they were That's doing like brain a bad scans fucking movie. And, yeah. You know, I'm trying to like stuff's getting lost in translation, and I'm hearing like open up your brain to like for swelling and like surgery i'm like whoa whoa whoa, what's going on and it was it was scary man but uh you know i i'm i'm like you like i it changed my life having a have having a serious concussion uh again i'm like you i still deal with stuff um i still you know have like little flare-ups where i'm like okay i can start you know something's a little off uh but the one thing that's happened is i've just i've learned so much I've learned so much about the way your 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 body and mind work together, uh, you know, psychology and and stuff that I just had no idea about. And I've learned that there's ways to get better from a concussion, which, you know, the first one that I experienced, I'm like, I'm I don't know, am I ever gonna be able to live my life again? Like, right. is this ever gonna happen? Like, but once you go through it and you do get better. You, 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 you learn like there's actually, there's things that I can do to recover from this. Um, so I, I don't want to say I've enjoyed that, but I, I would say that, um, that's given me a lot of energy and, and hope that like, yeah, there's, there's stuff you can do now, yeah. which is great. Well, I mean, like, like I said, I didn't know like all the vestibular therapy and the things that they, that I went through and, you know, you, you, the ball with all the numbers going back and yeah. forth and all that shit that they would make you do. So it's do you like, still do that stuff? You know, uh, I stopped after about a year or so, but I still go to uh, uh, Dr. Michael Rippey, uh, University of Kansas Health System. He, that's that's my concussion doctor. I still go every three months or so. And we like I take uh, butabitol when I when I start to get some symptoms. Um, and Nurtec is my go-to where you, it's a, you know, you know, it dissolves under your tongue, but then it, for like, at least for me, I gotta be home. I don't need to be operating any machinery or anything, but it'll knock out my headache. But there's sometimes, and he, I still go with him and, uh, Migravent I take every day. We tried all these different things, but yeah, I'm still going through that. But like you, I've learned to management and I've understand, you know, different things and situations where I can't put myself in. Um, it has been a very educational process yeah. and it has helped me but there's still times I'll, I'll get migraines or i'll get certain shit that happens like i gotta go or i gotta shut it down and people uh don't understand how difficult it is and some of the things that it's almost like you're not even in your own body and you're having reactions that don't make sense to you you know it's i agree you, man you, it's you a get trip. it like it's it's uh it's a trip i think we've we've come a long way yeah but we've got a long way to go just in terms of being able to speak out and just open up um to help people that are going through it because you experience it. Like the only real way to kind of relate to somebody or to know is, is having gone through it yourself. And like, that's why the communication is so important. That's why we were, we were over talking at an event for like half an hour. They paired me with a, uh, a young lady that had fallen off a horse and had a terrible concussion. 
and we would exchange messages, talk on the phone, and compare like, oh, this happened to you. Okay, that happened. Yeah. So, and, oh, yeah. and, and it and it and it helped. I remember that was down at the haunted houses. Yeah, we were down at oh, the no, haunted houses right. for yeah. the event, and then we we spent thirty minutes talking about concussions. Right, that's right. And it's like, all right, I got to go into this haunted house now. Yeah, yeah. strobe lights. Like, I'm yeah. scared to go in there. Uh, okay, so I, I want to wrap things up. Um, and you talked about, uh, you know, you know, playing in your hometown, being a hometown hero, and doing all these great things. But then you also talked about going to Texas. How difficult was it for you to end your career in Texas as opposed to ending your career with, with sporting? Because Nate tells the story, the funny story about me, you know, giving Heinemann shit. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't fucking care. He said, talk more about sports. We'll fucking sign Matt Beasley, right? And I remember when we found out you weren't coming back, I went on the air because I get mad at everything. That's, just, that's my deal. I said, well, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm not, I, I may not watch sporting for a while. I'm not going to support. I, got, I was real super pissed off. A lot of other people were. I'm just curious, how, how difficult was that for you? That was the most difficult moment of my life. Um, it's uh, We could spend an entire podcast talking about this. Uh, well, I know you got to go pretty soon, but you, yeah, you, no, you, you I, say what you want to say. We got yeah, yeah. the constraints for good on mine, because I, I, I want to hear this from you, because I, I, I do think it's important that, that, that fans hear this, and I, and I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of emotions um most of them negative which was one of the most frustrating things about that because i was like i don't want to be feeling like this i shouldn't have to feel like this because i know that i had some incredible times like i spent 12 years in my hometown and we did these like amazing things like i know that there's a lot to be proud of so why am i feeling so shitty why, why am I so pissed off about the way that it ended? And it, I'm still dealing with that. I'm still, I still am. I'm, I'm still, it's very hard. It was a, it was, it was just, it was hard. I never thought it would have ended that way. And maybe that's just me being naive to it. Um, and everybody says that it's a business and I agree with that, but I would say no. Not for me. Right. It wasn't a business for me. It was more than a business for me. It was my family. It was my life. It was my identity. And so I get that decisions have to be made and that sometimes sports is a business and all that stuff. But for me, it was more than a business. It was just so much more. And that's why it hurt so bad. And, and uh, it, it just, it was a weird time because um, I wasn't expecting it. And I think that's probably a mistake that I made is that I probably should have been more open and aware to kind of where I was at maybe and what was going on. Uh, because, you know, I had tried to reach out and get ahead of the situation. I knew that I wasn't going to, or that I knew that I was out of contract. And I guess I maybe should have read some of the cues that were in front of me, but I was blinded by... <laughs> by the love and the passion that I had for the team. And so um, in a way, I, I, I did not see it coming. And so I, I just remember when I got the news, um, I met with Peter face-to-face. Uh, -face. We had a, a good meeting. Um, it was a long one, but, you know, he said, he said a lot of very impactful things to me, and, uh, which I appreciated. Uh, but I got in my car, and I was like, whoa, I felt empty. I was like, 
so wait, I'm, it's done? I got in my car and I drove home. I'm like, I'm never driving back to this place again. It's like, that, su that sucks. Called my wife. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I, I'm not, I don't get to play for sporting anymore. So I felt like it, it just, it got taken away. Um, but the one thing that I'll say, and, and I've had time to reflect on all this, is that the reason why it was so hard and the reason why I, I think both sides were so emotional about it is because of all the amazing things that happened. You know what I mean? Like, I, I we always talked about loyalty. Like, I was so loyal to sporting, you know, for so many years. They were loyal back to me. They gave me multiple contract extensions. They named me the captain. I committed my future to them. And so, like, over the course of my career, this loyalty built and built and built. And the bond became so strong that whenever it ended, it was going to suck. And, like... You can focus on the negatives and all the, you know, the emotions about it. But the, the real reason why it, it sucked is because it was so good, if that makes sense. And so it took me a little bit of time to kind of understand that and to be able to think like that. But I'm, I'm thankful for that because not everybody gets to experience what I experienced. You know, it wouldn't hurt very much if I was in Kansas City and played for two years or, you know, we didn't win anything or that I wasn't the captain. The reason why I was so emotional about it is just because of the the time and the loyalty that we had built up. Are you, you said, you know, why did this happen? Are you able to answer that now? Are you at peace with that now when someone says, why did it end up that way? Do you, do you understand why it happened now or do you still have questions about that? Uh, no, I, 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 I still disagree with the decision. Um, I, I, try and understand it and I accept it. Um, but yeah, in my head, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional. Like I, I have a ton of confidence in myself in my head. I was like, I, I wish that I could have played for one more year. And I wish that I could have ended my career in Kansas city. Like, and, and they'll, I, I guarantee sporting set will say the same thing. You know, I think sporting didn't want to see me leave sporting one, but it just, it just didn't work out. And see, like you're, you're such a big part of, Sporting Kansas City's history. I mean, you're 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 one of, if not the greatest players ever, and you'll always be that, right? For so many people, like you said, you, everything you accomplished. But you know, we saw how things went with Frank White and the Royals for a while, and that fucking sucked as a Royals fan, as a Kansas City fan, because Frank White's one of the greatest players ever. And for a while, there was the Royals and Frank White were separated. That sucked. Are, are, is it? Are you good? Is I mean, with with Sporting, is that? I mean, that's that's it's not going to devolve to that. No, is it? no, no. I'm 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 good with sporting. And again, I, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. Like, I was afraid to to go back and watch a game because uh, I had built it up in my head like it's this big deal. And um, but I'm so glad that I went. I I mean, I went back to sporting, and I have unbelievable relationships with so many people there, um, front office, the fans, you know, current players, ex players that uh, it, was, it was amazing being back. Um, it brought back all of the positive <laughs> memories that we had just talked about. Uh, so very thankful that, I, that we were able to kind of move on, and um, I feel really good. I, I love sporting. I mean, it, it really is. It's still a very big part of, of who I am, and I owe a lot to 
I owe a lot of my life to them, to be honest with you. But, but you know, like I've done this for 23 years, man. There's very few people that I put in the category of, of Matt Beasler. And it's not just for what you did on the field. It's for what you do in the community, the kind of person you are, how you treat people. I judge people how they treat others. And I see how you treat people, whether it's fans, people that, that, that work at the radio station, people that you encounter in the events we've done together. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. And that's why it's important for me that, that, you, that, that you know that. And I'm, I'm so glad that you had, the, you came on this podcast, you talked about that. And I hope you know people, that's the way people look at you. And whatever that means to you, I think of you so highly just because of the, not for everything you accomplished. You know you were a great player, but just for the person you are. You know, you're, you're, you're a family guy, what you mean in this community and what you'll continue to mean in this community. So that, that's where I'm at. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I, like I said, I, I'm in a great place and I do. I, I love sporting. And I think one thing that you realize pretty quickly when you're done playing is that, you know, your, your playing ego, it fades. And, you know, you, you only, you don't have any other choice but to move on with your life, you know, and you got to, you turn into a person. So the way that you treat people, the way you handle yourself, the relationships that you have out in the community, like that's the stuff that matters. And it really does. It makes a big difference. So I appreciate the kind words, man. And, and you told people at the beginning, you're not retired, so tell people what you're doing now. What's Matt Beasler do now? <laughs> so I, I, do, uh, I do get a little bit of the soccer fix with sporting because uh, I'm doing some work with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. So we've got our Blue KC Sporting Samaritan program which I'm so excited to continue. So that's a program that I started. Uh, I We started like six years ago when I was playing for sporting. And when I retired, I essentially begged them. I was like, please, please, please let me let me do this. Let me back in. Uh, I'm, I'm super passionate about this program. And I know that I'm not playing anymore. But um, so anyways, they've, they've allowed me to come back and be the ambassador for the Blue KC Sporting Samaritan program, which has been awesome so far. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I'm working for chicken and pickle. Yeah. Yeah. And chicken and pickle. And so, and what, what do you do with chicken and pickle? Just doing, I know you've had events out there and everything else. Yeah. What so a, a, my, great my title with them is the director of strategic partnerships. Yeah. It sounds official. It does. It sounds it? fucking Man. intimidating. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Very and then what does it mean? under that is aspiring professional pickleball player. Right. Too, so that's right. Any, anywhere in between those two. Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being open and honest. And we ho hopefully you can do another episode with us and tell more stories of Mexico. I want to hear that shit. But I'm just going to ask you as a friend, don't let this fucking guy try to get you to play for Hot Guys hey, United. Hey, you said you want a competition. You're looking fucking for competition, bullshit man. Because now he's, he, he, I tell you what he sees. He sees an opening. Yeah. And now he, because he kind Absolutely. of backed off. He's playing it in his mind and saying, now I can, you know, he's going to use a different fucking approach or some shit. Don't give in to that. Because I don't want to hear about you rupturing your Achilles or some shit out there playing with him. I want you healthy. I want you lean and mean with chicken and pickle. And I want you, you know, Blue Cross. I want you just to be the Matt Beasler. Good way to stay fit, you know, just playing soccer every once in a while. Get get that competitive oh, fire going a little bit. We'll put you up top at strikers. You can score a bunch of goals. Like, see, you know, do you see, do you see what he's doing? I'm just you see what he's doing. Some you called it, Steven. Here, it's already I'm started. Just, I'm letting oh you know. God, that's Matt Beasler. He's a hometown. You're a hot hero. guy. A, the name of the team is uh, Hot Guys United. Anyway, that's why Todd I tried Lebo to keep him out of this fucking podcast. That's the one and only Matt Beasler, Nate Bucati. I'm Steven St. John. Until next week, this microphone is off.